Hi there, welcome to episode 49 of Right Where You're Sitting Now. Or Sitting Now, right? What, what the hell are we calling this, Josh? Oh shit, I don't know, man. <laughs> That's a good question. Is it Sitting been, Now Radio? Yeah, I don't know, it's been Sitting Now Radio in the past, but I kind of just like calling it Right Where You're Sitting Now, I think, now. I think that's probably a... It's, it's a lot of words. Of, it's a lot of words, but it's also the... I guess it's the... It's the main show of the site and everything, isn't it? And it's Tell you what, Ken. Let's say that's the name, but the cool kids can call it Sitting Now Radio. Well, you yeah. Know? That's, that's their, like, that's our, like, shorthand for it. Yeah, Sitting Now. I just quote Sitting Now most of the time, if I'm honest about it. Uh, that's even cooler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, this week we were meant to have Damien Eccles, and next week we were meant to have Lon Milo Duquette, but Damien Eccles, there was a problem with Damien Eccles uh, so we bumped Lon up you know to this week uh, which I'm pleased we did actually because I think we we had a really good uh, we've literally just finished chatting to Lon and I had a really mm. good he's always such a nice guy to have on the show I really enjoy Lon I find, I find he's very um, uh, he's very again like we were saying into he's very approachable isn't he yeah well he's, he's a friendly voice that's what I was going to say he's just such a friendly voice in this in these hard times, Ken. <laughs> he is, but I mean, I think as we progress more and more of the show, you'll find that that's not often the case when people talk. You know, when you talk to serious practitioners as right. it were, of the of the occult. So it's it's always refreshing. I had the same. We talk again. I don't want to go too much into it because we talk about it in the show. But we had the same experience with Michael Donald Craig, who passed um, not so long ago, and uh, yeah, it's just always great to have Lon on. But so yeah, this episode, what do we talk about, Josh? Oh man, we talked about so much. <laughs> what did we talk about? Uh, Crowley got defended, that's for sure. Finally, yeah, uh, right? After Shrek um, tore him to pieces in the last episode, uh, Lon comes to his rescue in this in this episode. Um, I feel I felt... like we talked about what Lon is best at talking about, which is uh, getting into the occult and you know not being weirded out by it. Yeah. Yeah, he talks, and I think some of the theories he comes up with are quite, uh, he's very firm on them, which is, again, quite, you know, about, especially when we talk about internal and external stuff, I think that's quite rare in some ways for an occultist to talk about that kind of stuff with such certainty. Um, which honesty, I found re- right? Yeah, and honestly, I found that really refreshing. Um, mm. And I think Lon's like a fine wine, he just, he gets better with age, and uh, <laughs> um and yeah we'll talk about he has a new book out called Allow Me to Introduce um, which is uh, his uh, collection of introductions from um, from um, you know books he's written introductions for um, uh, which sounds like a weird concept when you actually get into the book it's it's actually quite cool because you're getting all these kind of crystallised versions of uh, of of you know these kind of broader occult topics and I think that's a really, I think that's actually quite a good idea in a way and you know we'll talk about brilliant. that it really worked out Anyway, so let's uh, let's roll into um, into the into the interview, and we'll see you again next Monday. Hey, Lon Milo Duquette, welcome back to the show. We haven't had you on for quite a long time, um, so it's great to reconnect again. Um, I was wondering, could you give us a brief biography of yourself, just for the listeners that uh, 
you know, our newer listeners that haven't heard the older interviews? I was born in humble circumstances. <laughs> no, I'm I'm 72 years old, and uh, uh, I'm a native Californian, but was raised in Nebraska, and uh, I uh, was totally freaked out by uh, uh, Nebraskans, and so I started to study uh, all sorts of strange philosophies and and uh, spiritual practices. And by the time I moved back to California in the 1960s and took a massive dose of LSD and discovered that the only thing worth uh, uh, doing in life was trying to figure out who I was. And uh, uh, that's my biography <laughs> <laughs> so far. But uh, uh, actually, I... Uh, after several years of trying to be a first-rate Eastern mystic, I uh, discovered sort of the Western equivalent of uh, the the Tao Te Ching and uh, what I uh, what I could scrape together uh, as far as material for the the Hebrew Kabbalah, and uh, that got me into the uh, fraternal organizations of Western mysticism. Uh, starting with the Rosicrucian order, Amark of of uh, all sorts of all sorts of things, and then the builders of the Adytum, uh wonderful correspondence uh, tarot course and and uh, basic Kabbalah course, and then of course I bumped into uh, the writings of uh, Aleister Crowley, which seemed like more uh, substantial. Uh, meet and I was lucky enough to uh, uh, meet and be initiated by uh, several uh, surviving contemporaries of Aleister Crowley uh, uh, one of whom or two of whom were, were re uh, uh, constituting the Crowley's magical order the uh, OTO and uh, from they introduced me to uh, Israel Regardi. Again, all of this was just pure blind luck that I just sort of fumbled my way into the this uh, who's who of surviving uh, Western occultists. And uh, so I was part of uh, and have been and continuing to be part of the OTO or Ordo Templi Orientis is what it, uh, their resurrection. And uh, so over the, the years, I uh, eventually found myself uh, writing on the subject. And I've been uh, uh, writing on magic and occultism and tarot and Kabbalah uh, since about 1988. And uh, uh, now that's pretty much uh, all I do. <laughs> and... Uh, how about that for a whirlwind biography? <laughs> That's pretty good. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty whirlwind, yeah. <laughs> we were just talking before the show uh, about whether or not you were in every fraternal uh, magical organization that's existed, or at least the popular ones, I guess. 
Yeah, well, you know, the, uh, I learned early on that that uh, the organization really has very, very little uh, to do with uh, your education or your spiritual advancement uh, if you don't uh, just jump right in, take responsibility for your own education and and initiations, uh, and which is kind of a Perfect for the Crowley's uh, former uh, organizations, uh, the, the OTO and the AA, because uh, they more or less say, well, you either do it or you don't do it. So, you know, you, you could say you belong to us, but uh, 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 if you're going to get any decent uh, value out of the experience, you're going to have to give it to yourself. Yeah, uh, some, definitely something I've um, noticed with magical practice. It's it, what you put in is what you get out, kind of thing, isn't it? Right. Yeah. So at the moment, okay, I'll, after all these years later, as a seventy-two-year-old man, I'm still uh, uh, my private, uh, personal magical order uh, uh, work is uh, the AA work that I started. Uh, under the the mentorship of uh, Phyllis Seckler uh, back in the 70s. Uh, and my uh, outward organizational work is uh, with Ordo Templi Orientis. And uh, for the last 22, 23 years, I've been the United States uh, National Deputy Grand Master which is a wonderful, big, huge title. Uh, <laughs> and, but with uh, uh, because I'm such a lazy and incompetent individual, uh, it's a great title, and I really don't have to do much except stay alive and stay uh, out of uh, trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> it's funny you brought up Amork earlier on. I was um, when I was at university uh, studying my master's degree. Um, I was kind of known at that university as the the weirdo that was kind of into the occult. And every year, Amork do a big like um, I guess like a convention uh, once a year at, at this particular university. Uh, at least they did then. Um, and I remember the guy, one of the deans of the university was sort of suspicious of what they were up to. <laughs> and so they uh, sent me in to kind of uh, observe what they were up to. And it seemed fairly... Uh -huh. Yeah, it was kind of... It was uh, Obviously, I <laughs> thought the whole thing was kind of hilarious. <laughs> um, you're, a, you're a plain robed officer. Yeah. <laughs> Could you talk a bit about Amor? Because I, I couldn't really sort of figure out a lot of what was going on when I went in there because I literally just sort of popped it they're, they're in a huge lecture room and then they had like a big like set of stalls outside uh you know selling I guess Amork merch merchandise um but yeah I didn't really have a great deal of time but I've always kind of wondered about Amork like what's 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 their deal kind of thing well I I, I don't know uh what it is now I probably it was probably 1970 or 71, uh, when I started to take the lessons. Uh, and uh, back in those days, uh, Amork was advertised in like Popular Mechanics magazine, you know. 
what secret powers do these men possess or did these and then they showed you know aristotle and and uh and claude debussy and <laughs> you know newton and as if they all belonged to the amorc you know and uh but anyway, I thought it was kind of corny. But my brother had uh, had joined it uh, in an attempt to uh, bring his life under some kind of control at the at the time, and he talked me into it, saying, "You know, they're kind of like uh, uh, magical Freemasons." And uh, our father was a Freemason and, and a very cool guy, and and I knew the Masons were serious. Uh, uh, at least tra traditionally, uh, were, were serious uh, uh, leaders in uh, modern thought. Uh, masonry uh, uh, drove, was a driving force behind the Enlightenment. And uh, so, and our father was a Mason, and I respected him very much. And I thought, ooh, mystic Freemasons, plus they have women. And I went, oh, okay, let's let's join the Rosicrucians. And uh, so uh, I joined. I started taking the lessons, which which are sort of very, very lightweight, sort of like secondary school mysticism, you know, mm. small little sort of chemical experience experiments. It was a. It was a preliminary liberal arts education in hermetics. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. Was and, that, uh, you find that there's a lot of crossover between the groups uh, generally, don't you? Like, if you look at like obviously the Golden Dawn and the ATO and AA share a similar yeah. similar lineage, don't they? But often there's a crossover where there'll be like tarot or Kabbalah or right. something kind of yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, Amark has. Uh, uh, at least a pretense of of uh, being connected to the same sort of Rosicrucian Golden Dawn resurrection in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and they sort of uh, try to trace their genesis uh, to that same thing. But uh, uh, from a practical purpose, if you just ask members of a local lodge or leaders of a local lodge about the Golden Dawn. Uh, they're pretty much clueless uh, as to what all that is because they're uh, they're understandably sort of locked into the organizational uh, party line of uh, of Amorc. Uh, but most of the people that uh, later in life that I would bump into uh, in more serious magical circles. Uh, Many of them say, well, I, I started with Amorc, and uh, uh, and it really is a, a good sort of a gateway drug uh, to, uh, to modern uh, hermetics and modern magic. And uh, uh, so I don't regret a moment I spent in, uh, uh, with Amorc. As a matter of fact, I became uh, active in a local lodge here in Long Beach, or right down the street in Long Beach, and uh, uh, that's where I learned to absolutely love uh, dressing up in robes and strutting around in the dark. <laughs> and, uh, 
Uh, so so I, I, I had a feel for the, you know, the outward expression of the magical art form, uh, uh, even if uh, Amark wasn't doing too much magic with that art form. Um, and by the time uh, uh, I uh, bumped into a few fellow Amark people who were taking the Builders of the Aditum Tarot uh, and Kabbalah course, so uh, I became interested in that. And that's Paul Foster Case's uh, uh, marvelous work with the tarot and uh, the Kabbalah. And uh, BOTA was more sort of classically uh, Golden Dawn in style. Mm. But uh, in execution, they uh, more or less had the same problem that Amark did with uh, 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 crystallizing the the educational process and more or less, uh, uh, you know, discouraging any collateral studies or any collateral <laughs> development in, uh, uh, in amongst their membership. And so the best thing about both AMORC and uh, BOTA was for me, they taught me how to outgrow AMORC and BOTA. <laughs> so i mean what i'd like to do uh, as you know you have a new book out um allow me to introduce the occult and i think because like i said because we've been away for a while and because i'm you know we're hoping at least that we're talking to a our old audience and our new and a new audience um i'd really like to kind of delve into kind of some real basic stuff and yeah, maybe just brush over it a little bit and Maybe talk about like what you think, how you think magical practice. What 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 does it kind of offer a person? You know, if someone was looking into magic um, and they wanted to know, okay, what 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 does magic do? You know, uh, how how does it affect me? What you know, what why should I do it? Essentially, how, what would you uh, what would you say to that? Well, most people are are attracted to magic because of the colorful uh, art form. Uh, that it uh, uh, is an expression of. So, uh, you know, magicians, have, uh, at least you picture, you, you, when you think about magic, you think about robes and wands and cups and swords and discs and, and uh, yeah, the strutting around in the dark part and uh, uh working with with spirits and demons and angels and things like that and it's very colorful and a, and attractive uh it's a romantic uh art form and uh, there are some people that are just initially attracted to it just because it looks so damn cool and uh but uh uh if that's what you think magic is, uh, the tools of the art, then then uh, you soon discover that you're sort of missing the point uh, entirely. You either dis discover you're missing the point entirely or you go quite mad. And uh, magic, for those who have very little acquaintance with the, with the term as a spiritual art form, uh, magic is a self-transformational art form. Magic is done to enlighten the, the magician. Uh, magic is done to 
evolve, spiritually evolve the magician. Uh, uh, you know, people would less say, well, I want to learn magic so I can kill at a distance, you know, or something like that. I want to use my wand and kill my enemy at a distance. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, right away, you're telling yourself you're, you're almost, uh, you're warning yourself that you're too crazy to even understand this art form. Hmm. Uh, the, the thing is that the, the process, the only thing a magician truly changes with magic, and of course Crowley's definition of magic was just causing change to occur in conformity with your will. Well, the only thing a magician can really change is the magician. That's the only thing the magician can directly change. Hmm. So if you want to be a magician because you want to force the girl next door to fall in love with you, which is a very common uh, basement-dwelling magician's uh, desire, The, if your magic is going to succeed, uh, it will only succeed if it turns you into the kind of person that the girl next door falls in love with. So what you're saying is it's more of an internal phenomenon than an external? Yes, it's exactly what I'm saying. But I'm also adding that there is no external. Hmm. Mm. it's all in you. And so the, it's uh, you're dividing yourself from yourself by thinking you can uh, work externally. Mm. So, so even, so there, there is no argument, true argument about the objectivity or the subjectivity of spirits. It's all in your head. You just have no freaking idea how big your head is. Okay. <laughs> your head even includes everything that you currently believe is outside of yourself. It's a bit like the uh, Robert Anton Wilson used to use a Buddhist uh, phrase all the time. He'd say, um, who is the master that makes the great grass green? Is, is that it? Or who's the great master that makes the grass green? In other words, you're the master that makes the grass green because it's all in Correct. your head. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Correct. And, and uh, you know, objectivity, object reality has uh, the habit of, uh, uh, you know, trying to talk you out of that, like when you bump your head in the car. <laughs> <laughs> getting in the car you go oh is that all in my head you know ouch <laughs> uh, but ultimately yeah okay it, now that's not to say that uh, somewhere in your diary you can point to the fact that uh, on such and such a date I performed such and such a magical act to evoke such and such a spirit to have uh, that girl next door fall in love with me. Okay, let's say keep using that analogy. Hmm. And sure enough, uh, a year later, you say, uh, Tina, the girl next door, and I 
she agreed to be my wife. And uh, so I, I'm pronouncing that that uh, ceremony uh, uh, or that ritual or that magical act of success. Okay. But your magic didn't work on her. She's her own freaking magician. You don't work on other people. Okay. Mm. Somewhere along the line, you, your magical ceremony went to work on your own subconscious mind, which sets the stage for your entire reality and tweaked you in ways that you perhaps you don't even understand how it tweaked you. But whatever it was, it tweaked you in such a way as to gain her attention and tweaked you in such a way that once she had your attention or you had her attention, that you somehow endeared yourself to her. And the new changed you was a person that caused her to eventually fall in love with you and agree to be your wife. Okay. Hmm. Now, you can't see the 10 billion causes, invisible causes and effects that happened after your magical ceremony that ended in that outcome. And that's where magic actually becomes incredibly mysterious because we lose track of the chain reaction of causes and effects that were set into motion by your uh, magical working. Hmm. And uh, if you want to use the term quantum level, then go ahead and use the word quantum level hmm. because that's probably where it's happening. The ancient magicians uh, weren't burdened with <laughs> with the idea of of a quantum dimension. Hmm. Okay, we are, but and we're lucky because I can use that term to to describe the the black box we we put our magical efforts into that result in giving us the magical response. But you can call it on a quantum level if you want. And my my computer is making some noises here, so I'm going to plug something back in. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, I kind of I kind of feel like this is uh, something that speaks to my experience. Like I've been able to, like you said, make myself more attractive to a person or to a a boss trying to get a job, but. I haven't been able to start a, a thunderstorm, you know? Well, uh, I'm not sure you can start a thunderstorm with magic. <laughs> right. <laughs> Crowley, Crowley says you might be able to make it rain, but you can't make it rain in the Sahara. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a good way to put it. But you can you, you can make it rain in Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not difficult, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people are doing it all the time. <laughs> so, in a way, 
magical practice is is a form of kind of psychiatry in a way would you say or would you say it's there's a sort of psychiatric or psychological element to it that's very important well yeah but it's it's uh, truly psychology on steroids what would you say for people is the best way to kind of get into magic as it were like do you have any recommended path for people because i know it seems to be very different for each pe- you know each person and often it can be quite a um, the actual you know the task of becoming a magician or joining the ito or you know a similar uh, organization if someone came to you and said i am interested in magic where would you point them uh well i'd ask them what they're most most interested in at the at the moment, because there's uh, uh, back in 1970, there wasn't very much good magical literature out there, and what what uh, what was out there uh, was sort of the postgraduate uh, type material: uh, uh, Crowley, Dion Fortune, uh, uh, Mather's Golden Dawn type stuff. So you you more or less had to already have two feet, you know, firmly in the quicksand of magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we're really lucky, and there's lots of very, very uh, good introductory books that that will give you uh, uh, at least the 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 opportunity uh, to see uh, what in this you might be attracted to, and uh, so I can easily point to uh, 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 a book by my late great friend uh, uh, Donald Michael Craig. Mm, uh, who magic. wrote a book, Modern Magic? Yeah, uh, it's just a wonderful book, and it's and it's uh, uh, like Regardi was for me. Regardi, uh, I heard terrible, terrible things about Aleister Crowley, and was very superstitious young man. And uh, uh, I read a couple things by Israel Regardi, and I said, "This guy's sane. I like this guy," you know. And I eventually ended up. Uh, 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 meeting him and, and, uh, uh, but anyway, uh, y- y- you need to read a sane person's view on magic and not a comic book uh, version of magic. And Don Craig's Modern Magic is a perfect, uh, perfect place to start. Uh, when I started writing, uh, I started writing the books that I wished that I would have read as a as a beginner uh, to maybe knock 15 or 20 years off my learning curve. Hmm. Uh, and so I wrote a book called uh, The Magic of Aleister Crowley, which uh, more or less is uh, the handbook of his basic rituals and uh, shows how they were how they evolved and how they were developed. And uh, if you, but if you're into tarot cards uh, and feel that that's sort of a non-threatening way to uh, to express your uh, your desire to learn more about uh, the the Western magical tradition, then uh, I'd start with the published material of uh, Paul Foster Case. Uh, and that will uh, allow you to uh, simultaneously learn basic Kabbalah and basic uh, mm-hmm. uh, tarot at the same time. So uh, I, I just uh, uh, 
tell anybody who wanted to get involved with it to, first of all, to trust their own instincts, hmm. point them to a couple of uh, preliminary uh, uh, books and tell them for about a year or two, just uh, just read uh what seems to attract them the most yeah i mean donald michael craig was a guest on our show and he was a really wonderful person it was really sad that he passed away um i felt that was a real loss to the yeah yeah to the magical community kind of thing do you i mean did you know him quite well yes um well first of all uh, both of us uh, appear regularly at uh, uh or did at uh, these large pagan gatherings. And we're usually kind of the featured speakers or speakers at the, at these pagan gatherings. So we kept bumping into each other uh, year after year, uh, four or five times <laughs> during the year. And then we also spake, spake at uh, Pantheacon which is a lo- the large indoor pagan gathering in in San Jose and uh because we both live in the Los Angeles area and because San Jose is a 7 hour drive uh every year we would drive up to San Jose together and those 7 hour rides uh uh, became just absolutely unforgettable and precious moments uh, because we were both generally about the same age and raised in Southern uh, or born in Southern California. We had so many goofy things in in common and uh, we both loved old television shows and stuff. He was he, truly a dear friend and uh, uh once I told him, you know, it's, you know, I know hundreds and hundreds of people and have lots and lots of, lots and lots of friends, but I don't really have a best friend, you know, that, that has the same sort of, uh, uh, life circumstances, uh, a writer, somebody who writes and who, who lectures and, and who is into the same crazy ass stuff. Uh, I am. So, yeah, Don was my, uh, uh, in a sense, was my uh, colleague who was also a best friend. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah, no, he was he was lovely. And, yeah, we uh, I really regret that we only had him on the show once. So I would love to have had him on again. He was really, um, yeah, he was a very engaging person and very, uh, yeah, just very kind with his time. And, yeah, he was great, really nice guy. Um so one thing, actually, before we get into talking about your book, one thing that I personally have been looking for, um, and I've only really found it in about four or five books so far, and that's accounts of what happens after people do magical you know, ritual or, you know, perform, you know, almost like a sort of transcription of a diary or, you know, uh, the results, as it were. You, you read a lot of theory when you... Uh, um, pick up occult books essentially the kind of grimoire style you know uh, texts but it's very hard to actually find um books where people actually are quite open about the experience about what actually happened when they perform these rituals i know you did it in my life of the spirits there's very you know you're very uh 
you talk a lot about um, the Goetia, for example. Um, and I know David Conway is another one that has in the past um, uh, spoken about his experiences. But why do you think it is that people uh, are less inclined to talk about the actual results of what they do, you know, the, 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 um, their own personal journeys? Uh, well, first of all, uh, not everybody is uh, comfortable uh, with uh, sharing stories of all their failures. Hmm. Uh, uh, and if uh, they have successes to uh, uh, to talk about, um, they still may be uh, uh, may be reticent. There's there's a difference between uh, uh, someone that that is comfortable uh, writing theoretically about about something, uh, even if that theory is based on on good solid interesting uh experiences they're 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 they may be good about writing about the theory but uh not comfortable with writing about the experience and i'm saying that in in all fairness to uh uh authors like that um mm. uh, to me, it was clear right away that that I was learning more myself about the theory of of magic by all the places I screwed up, <laughs> by all of the the things that blew up in my face, uh, and then I, I realized that's well, that's where the magic is, uh, and. Uh, well, I had a magic teacher, a formal magic teacher, Phyllis Seckler. And God's lover, uh, if I would have listened to her, I wouldn't have done a goddamn thing with magic. Okay? Uh, <laughs> don't, don't do this until you get your holy guardian angel and you can't... <laughs> you, you, okay, uh, and... Uh, and don't do a Goetia. Oh my God, Goetia, that's too dangerous. Oh, gee. Uh, and she did it. Uh, I mean, she uh, she was right. She was right uh, uh, as far as she went. Okay, but that's that's not that's not how I work. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I actually do have to stick my hand in the fire to go, oh, that's too hot, you know. Uh, an example is uh, my first Goetia vocation, which I write about in, in many places. Uh, I wasn't ready to do it. She told me I wasn't ready to do it. I didn't have a grasp of what it was I was going to do. I had no idea of the, the, the field theory of uh, that I currently expose now about how the only thing you, you can change is yourself and all of that. Uh, I was still superstitiously thinking that that, that little uh, imp was going to jump up out of hell when I evoked it and it was going to uh, uh, change my life and get me get me going. Uh, 
But Phyllis was warning me, no, don't do that. You could hurt yourself. And, uh, well, sure enough, I hurt myself during that evocation. And if you were familiar with the story, I ended up burning my eyes with that uh, that concentrated cinnamon oil extra mm. um, and nearly blinding myself. So, But if I would have listened to Phyllis, I would have said, oh, I better not do this or I'll hurt my eyes. Mm. Instead, I did it, hurt my eyes figured out what Goetia was all about. The, 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 the ceremony, uh, certainly, I mean, minutes after the ceremony, somebody came and gave me a car. That car got me a job. That job got me going. It changed my life completely around. You know, I've been gamefully employed ever since. It saved the day. It did everything I asked it to do, asked it to do and much, much more, but only because... I was mutated by this by the experience. Hmm. So a lot of lot of warnings, uh, even from very knowledgeable writers and magicians, a lot of warnings that uh, uh, magic is dangerous and don't do it. Uh, I'm sorry, some of those dangerous things and the consequences of some of those dangerous things are the very things you need to experience in order to mutate you into the type of person that the girl next door falls in love with. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so in your Goetia story, um, in the My Life of the Spirits, you say that you actually saw, you know, the, the Goetic demon. Do you think that was a internal thing now with your new theory that it was just your your own projection of this thing or um oh yes uh uh, uh of course but there is no outside of me mm. okay so the the there there are techniques uh that some people are better at than others uh to externalizing what's internal mm. Uh, that's why uh, some Goetian magicians, especially the great, uh, the great Poke Runyon, uh, has used and has perfected the use of a black mirror in order to externalize and to bring to uh, visible uh, appearance uh, uh, spirits that you're working with. Uh, and some people, once it clicks inside what it's all about, they could just give us they can just give a shit about uh, about whether they're actually looking at it if they're seeing it properly in their mind's eye. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so let's just let's uh, talk about your new book. Um, tell us a little bit about it and how it came about, and um, how you came up with the idea for collecting these uh, different pieces. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's called Allow Me to Introduce, uh, and it is a collection of about 35 years, I think, of uh, introductions and forewords uh, and prefaces to uh, uh, various books by other authors that uh, I've been asked by the publisher or the or the author uh, to to pen the material for. 
Now, it doesn't sound very exciting because uh, I don't know about you, but when I pick up a book about magic uh, or mysticism, you jump straight to the uh, meat. <laughs> I, jump, I jump straight not, to the not meat. Not me. I always, I always read the intros, guys. I'm sorry. I'm that nerd. <laughs> oh, Josh, well, God bless you. <laughs> but I tell you, you know, back in 1966, I bought the, uh, a Penguin edition of the, of the Tao Te Ching, or the Yi Ching. Not a Penguin edition, I forget what edition it was. But it had an introduction by Carl Jung. Okay. And the introduction by Carl Jung was about a third of the book. I didn't look at that introduction for 25 years. Okay. And I, and I use that Yi Ching consistently. Um, but that, that, that's the case, okay, with a lot of people. Uh, but these are, are introductions to a vast array of different magical uh, uh, related uh, things. Okay, uh, like I wrote the introduction to a, uh, a famous alchemical text. And I uh, wrote the introduction to uh, uh, the new edition of uh, Casabon's True and Faithful Relation and What Happened for Years Between Dr. John Dee and Edward Kelly. And I've written introductions to Crowley's uh, 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 let's see what what has it been? Well, I've written, wrote written introduction to all the books that uh, that influenced me as a as a young magician. I mean, I, uh, books by Rigardi, like the the Tree of Life and and uh, I in the Triangle. And these are books that freaking changed my life, and and fate just had it that thirty after thirty years, I was asked to write introductions to the new editions of them. Hmm. And uh, Cloud Upon the Sanctuary, the th the book that uh, turned Crowley on, and uh, 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 I even introduced uh, the Los Angeles Opera Company's. Uh, opening night performance of the Magic Flute, Mozart's Magic Flute, down at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. Uh, and I, and I, you know how opening nights they usually have a lecture uh, just prior to the performance. Mm. Uh, well, I gave that lecture called Mozart Magic and Masonry, and. So, so I have all of these things, but what makes them special to me is that I've only got about five pages to encapsulate my understanding of the essence of either the author's, of either the author or the author's subject. Hmm. And I work hard for these things, okay? I agonize over them. I, I squeeze the essence of absolutely everything 
that I think is relevant to that subject, and I put it into five pages. Hmm. In my mind, or in my opinion, it's my best work. Hmm. They're little jewels. And nobody, <laughs> nobody reads them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really enjoy the book. I thought, it, I, speaking of uh, good introductions to the occult, I thought it was perfect for someone coming along just looking for things to get interested in. I'm, I'm really glad you brought up the thing about the magic flute. That that was something I've never heard about before. Can you speak about that a little bit? Uh, what What's the, the Freemasonic uh, roots behind it? Okay. <clears throat> well, um, a little earlier, yeah, uh, we were talking about the, the things that I currently uh, am still involved in. I said the AA, the OTO, but I'm also a Mason. I've been a Mason now for 25, 26 years. Uh, not because Masonry teaches magic, because it doesn't. <laughs> or not because any of my Masonic old fart friends and brothers and stuff, not that most of them uh, could care less about any of this stuff because they don't it's that masonry is in its sense in the truest sense or it can be a magical and transformation self-transformational uh, experience so there is absolutely no uh oh i love the magic flute i just i just love it it's delightful it's heavy. And uh, uh, once you've been enmeshed in Kabbalistic thought, okay, you start to see the, the structure of the universe as described uh, with Kabbalistic terms in everything. You can't sit down at breakfast and look at... Uh, Look at the Aunt Jemima label without thinking something incredibly heavy <laughs> about something. You know, the big, ah, uh, the Black Mother, ah, uh, Vina, you know. Uh, uh, so I see in the Magic Flute such wonderful cosmic statements being made in such a delightful and delicious uh, way. And, of course, uh, it uh, it was written uh, uh, during the years when Mozart was just completely inspired by the magical fraternity and his experience in the magical fraternity. And it had everything to do with the blossoming sort of Illuminati-ish uh, uh, ideas that would uh, uh, spawn the French and American revolutions. And uh, uh, the characters are so archetypal, the Queen of the Night and Sarastro's uh, uh, sun-worshipping cult. and Oh, it's just so full of such wondrous stuff. So th they wanted me to, to give a lecture on the magical and Masonic significance of the magic flute. And it was just a short lecture because, you know, they, everybody wanted to get on with the show. Uh, but I gave it my best shot. And uh, uh, 
masonry uh, is an echo of the structure of the Eleusinian mysteries. And based on the, the classic <clears throat> formula of initiation itself, whether it's Masonic or or Eleusinian or Isis or or OTO or or Holy Grail or whatever, the formula is the same. I'm currently giving an online initiate three degree initiation uh, uh, experience on the three degrees of uh, uh, Kabbalah initiation, hmm. which I should be working on right now, boys. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Because <laughs> it's it, the second degree is Wednesday night, and I got Ooh. my slides I got to put together. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, you've got your Yod Hey Vav Hey formula in Prince uh, Tamina, uh, uh, Tamino, and and Tamina, uh, the princess and. Uh, Papageno and Papagena, the, the comic relief is the Vav and Hey final. And, uh, oh, it, it just goes on. And I try to do it in, in a very, uh, just sort of skim the surface uh, in my talk uh, or my chapter in this book. Uh, but it, it really works out. There There is no magic greater uh than the magic of great art because magic mm. is an art mm. it's an art form it, uh, it may have scientific uh, uh, methods to it but it's an art form mm. it's a spiritual art form and every magician uh, if they truly are a magician uh, is an artist mm. a one man order of one or a one woman order of one mm. And, uh, and uh, conversely, every artist, no matter what their spiritual disciplines or their beliefs or their, their uh, proclivities are, every artist is a magician. Oh, that's interesting. I think, because uh, uh, you, we also need to let you get back to your, um, your, your initiation yeah. course um but one thing i wanted to kind of breach very quickly with you just because it's something i've always wanted to ask you particularly but also because our last guest on the show was quite negative about uh, this person and uh, i felt it would be you're the perfect person to kind of counter his opinion we had nicholas shrek on uh, last mm. on the last <laughs> episode um who was very very negative about alistair crowley um, and I didn't feel that I defended Crowley particularly well <laughs> at the time. I was kind of bowled over by it a little bit. Um, but I feel if one person can um, can uh, defend Crowley somewhat, it would be Lon Milo Duquette. And in particular, the thing I wanted to you to talk to as a closing thing was why has Crowley managed to stay kind of so relevant within the magical landscape? As in, he's the most cited of magicians, and he's the most um, uh, you know, you can't go down an occult path almost without bumping into Crowley at some point. Why is that, do you think? Oh, okay. he was just, uh, or part of him, the part of him that was, was his work and his spiritual focus, um, uh, was a good 100, 150 years ahead of his time. Mm. 
And uh, that's all. That's all. Uh, I don't think I would have liked Crowley personally. I don't think I uh, I would have been among his circle of disciples or uh, just because I'd have been too freaking lame in those days uh, to uh, uh, overlook his many and varied and sometimes serious shortcomings, personal shortcomings. Be that as it may, it's very, very, uh, it's a luxury to be able to stand apart, uh, you know, 100 years later and and just uh, focus on on uh, uh, what at least some of his most important work uh, has to say to me and uh, how it informs my understanding of not only uh, magic as a spiritual art form, but my understanding of myself. And not everybody uh, is prepared to see themselves in Crowley. Hmm. And, uh, uh, and that's totally, totally understandable. And uh, I'm an apologist for Crowley, not so much... Uh, as uh, I try to defend uh, everything that uh, that he did, uh, but because of my understanding and appreciation of everything he's done for me, mm. and uh, so I'm not going. To, I'm not going to argue with anybody that doesn't like Crowley because I can. <laughs> I can certainly understand uh, where they're where they're coming from, hmm. and I I don't even take fiendish delight in all of the uh, rubbing anybody's nose in his shortcomings. Uh, uh, he had them, but if you've read enough of him, he's constantly telling you, "Don't don't believe me," you know. <laughs> You know, uh, uh, we're all about 15 different major different characters in our lives. Okay, we're, we're uh, uh, masters, we're gods to our dog, and we're, we're boot-licking slaves, sniveling slaves to our cats and um, definitely my cat yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and so we're you know we're we're masters of our of our little league team but we're we're slaves to the cop uh, obedient slaves to the cop uh, we're all many many people and the tr biggest trouble with Aleister Crowley is all the Crowleys that were Crowley were over the top <laughs> mm. <laughs> and completely audacious and colorful. In public, too, right? In, in public. Yeah. It, I think it's, I mean, it's, wh why do you think that Crowley has, um, I mean, he's, you know, he came from the Golden Dawn, essentially, didn't he? But, 
I think a lot more people have heard of Crowley than they've heard of the Golden Dawn, for example. Why do you think that is? How, how's what what's it he's done that's kind of resonated? Do you think with so many people and given him this kind of longevity? Uh the great artists that they admire, who admire Crowley. Mm. Uh, uh, Crowley uh, uh, might not have got off to the start that he got off uh, if, if not for a piece of art that the entire world was waiting for. Uh, literally, the entire world was waiting for a single piece of art uh, with bated breath. It was going to be the most celebrated work of art in the world. And they waited for it, and it arrived, and it disappointed hardly anyone. And it was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. <laughs> and the cover of that uh, that had Aleister Crowley on it. And the people who are really into it dissected every one of those characters on the cover and tried to find out who they are, why was... Sri Yukteswar on there. Why was Babaji on there? What, who's this guy standing next to Mae West? Is Oh, that's Aleister Crowley. Well, who's Aleister Crowley? Oh, John Lennon liked Aleister Crowley. Well, it seemed like a lot of the, you know, lots of them like Aleister Crowley. Who do what thou wilt. That was a quantum leap in human consciousness. Okay. Mm-hmm. It would have taken another 50 years for Aleister Crowley to be discovered. But the Beatles, 20 years to the day after Crowley's death, resurrected him. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? It's, um, it's yeah, it's, he's definitely uh, managed to survive. <laughs> and that's an interesting thing. So if people want besides to get... He's, he, besides, he's so, so... In, incredibly uh, colorful and and as wild and crazy as our lives are today we need a little color Mm. and Crowley's color Mm. uh, uh, is a welcome a welcome diversion that also informs and if you are honest with yourself will end up inspiring you Mm. and (laughs) so the uh, and we have to remember he was doing all of this stuff, uh, a life that that would completely fill the diaries of, of 20 normal men. And he was doing it all while busily uh, uh, working with uh, uh, British intelligence, busily starting World War One. Uh, (laughs) busily writing poetry uh, a lot of which uh, a lot of which I can uh, take or leave (laughs) that's a common thread with Crowley it's the the poetry people can take it or leave it (laughs) definitely regardless of the uh, person commenting on him that seems to be a, a, a very common thread yeah. Uh, but I think one of the things is he's actually quite funny as well. And that's something Robert Anton Wilson used to go on about. But Craig yeah. is very funny when you read. Oh, he's like, so funny. Yeah, if you read yeah. Confessions, especially. I, I've just been rereading that recently, and it, it's hilarious. Some of the. I love it. It's Yeah, he's he's fantastic in that sense, <laughs> which is lovely because a lot of the. You know, you read some people like. Um, 
you know, members of the Golden Dawns text, in particular, what's his name? Uh, is it Waite? Who, who wrote the Black Arthur Magic? Arthur Edward Waite, yes. Mm. He's the most dry occult author I think I've ever read. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you kind of, you want that, I mean, this is something I think all well, you do as well, Lon, you, you kind of want an element of accessibility, I think, to this stuff, because it's, you know, it's quite heavy subjects, and it's quite nice to have a a bit of a, you know, a friendly voice in there almost. Do you agree on that? Or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, for me, it's uh, it's kind of the only way I can I can be. And I instantly, uh, well, I guess I didn't instantly because I was so freaked about Crowley for years uh, uh, before meeting uh, Crowley people. Uh, when I read uh, Onion Peelings, uh, a one-page chapter in Crowley's Book of Lies, I knew Crowley was my man, okay? <laughs> uh, it's just, it was so perfectly Western Zen that I said, oh, okay, this, I can forgive a whole bunch of stuff about this guy because this is absolutely perfect. <laughs> and uh, and that's more or less how I feel about Crowley. Uh, some of his best magical work uh, that that few people, relatively speaking, few people uh, get to enjoy and experience are his uh, uh, reworkings of the quasi-Masonic initiation rituals uh, of the OTO. Hmm. And um, I've been lucky enough and privileged enough uh, for 40, gee, 40, 1975, 45 years. Wow. Uh, to uh, experience and uh, uh, celebrate and uh, deliver and officiate at hundreds of uh, these degree ceremonies. And every time I... Uh, take part in, in one, uh, I'm just blown away at how incredibly cool it was. And uh, the, if nothing else, the OTO experience, uh, because any organization, you're going to have people uh, who like other people and who don't like others and things like that. Uh, uh, organizations are by nature bullshit. <laughs> but that aside, uh, the beautiful initiatory experiences that are the work of the OTO uh, are Crowley at his best, and in my opinion, initiation, uh, formal in in temple type initiations uh, at its best, and it's uh, it's work that not everybody can can become familiar with. Of course, you can you can read the pirated editions of the of the the ceremonies, uh, you know, on the internet if you want, and that's uh, for those who can never actually uh, take part in. A, in an artfully executed initiation ceremony, uh, that's, the, I guess, the best you can do. 
but it's really Crowley's magic at, at its best, and it's uh, it's very organic. It just keeps getting bigger and better, and it uh, and it unfolds as your years and your awakening uh, allows yourself to observe it unfolding. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, Lon, if people want to get in contact with you, uh, what's the best way? How can people keep up with what you're what you're doing? Uh, I guess the closest thing to my daily blog type thing is my Facebook page. And uh, uh, please, there's no end to the people that can follow my Facebook page. Uh, there, I, Facebook does have a cap on Facebook friends, hmm. uh, and uh, I'm at that cap, but I try to uh, try to uh, you know call the discontinued <laughs> uh, discontinued uh, uh, memberships of uh, Facebook, and but please follow me on uh, on uh, my Facebook page, and uh, uh, as far as my written material is concerned uh it's for sale on on uh, in any bookstore amazon or uh uh barnes and noble things like that so just uh, just google lawn milo duquette and you'll run into videos and you'll run into to books and but my daily blog is sort of my facebook page and uh do you have any new projects uh that you're working on in terms of books or well right now i'm i'm uh, in the middle of trying to uh translate the initiatory experience into uh, uh an internet a live internet uh uh experience because uh, i believe uh sadly i believe that uh this pandemic thing uh, is only sort of a preview of a, of a different kind of world uh, where we're not going to be able to uh, to get together in person as much uh, as we've done for the last 10,000 years. Mm. And uh, so I'm working on that now. And uh, so what I've... Uh, just before this book, uh, allow me to introduce, uh, I wrote a book called The Son of Chicken Kabbalah. Which is great. Which it, it's a great book. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> well, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to transfer that initiatory experience uh, into an internet experience or an online uh, personal experience. And... Uh, so I'm hard at work at at that, and I'm trying to stay one week ahead <laughs> of, of that process, even as we speak. Excellent. Well, I mean, I think we'll, one thing I want to do is to have you back on the show at some point to talk about the Kabbalah, because I've personally just finished reading the two, the two books, uh, Chicken Kabbalah and Son of Chicken Kabbalah, and I think they're excellent. Um, but anyway, Lon, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. I know you're very busy at the moment, so it was a it's a real oh, pleasure to talk you. to you. Well, thank you, Ken. Thank you, Josh. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll hopefully have you on sooner rather than later. Okay, very good.